Good morning, New Life. Um, one of these days, God willing, we are going to see each other in person again. Uh, but in the absence of that, it's great to be able to uh, speak to you and to bring the word of God to you uh, virtually, uh, even if not in person. And what I'm doing uh, this morning and uh, at a subsequent date um, is a two-part series dealing with the role of the Holy Spirit in the coming of the Messiah. And in the first part, I want to concentrate on the role of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And in the second part, I want to focus in on the role of the Holy Spirit in the birth of the circumstances of the birth of Jesus. And uh, I hope to, uh, through all of this, to show you just how important the place of the Holy Spirit is for us today in the body of Christ. So if we want to understand the role of the Holy Spirit in the coming of Jesus into this world, and we just passed through the Christmas season, um, we have to go back right to the beginning, uh, to the very beginning, and to the creation account in the first chapters of Genesis. And there we see the spirit hovering over the face of the waters as God begins to create the cosmos. So the Holy Spirit is presented as the agent by which the original creation was shaped and formed. And uh, as we know from the biblical account, that creation was ruined through our rebellion. But what we find in the Bible is that God's intention is always to restore what was lost. And that's good news. God is a God of restoration. He's a God of restoration in your life this morning or whenever you're listening to this. He, he, he has a plan to whatever you've lost, whatever has been damaged in your life. God's desire in his heart is to bring restoration to you. And that's what he's been doing since the dawn of creation. Since we fell, since we ruined what he had given to us, God has been restoring it. And so uh that's good news god's intention is to restore what was lost and as we trace through the pages of the old testament and and particularly as we fast forward to the prophetic scriptures uh we get a consistent promise of a new creation coming and the prophets whether it was isaiah or ezekiel or joel or zechariah uh or others the prophets spoke of this new creation as best they could with the insight that they had. The New Testament tells us that they, they looked intently into what they understood God was saying, even though they didn't quite grasp it, because those things that now have been revealed to us, they didn't quite get the wholeness of. But they, they um, prophesied in as best they could with the understanding they had that a new creation was coming. and. Uh, and that the Holy Spirit had an extremely important role to play in the coming of that new creation. So in other words, there is an original creation, and God's intention in the original creation was lost, but God has a plan to bring restoration through a new creation. So if we look at Ezekiel chapter 36, for instance, uh, this is what God says uh, through the prophet Ezekiel, uh, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you 
and you uh, shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And then Ezekiel pivots in chapter 36 from that statement of a new creation coming where there's going to be new life and the Holy Spirit is going to come and be placed within God's people in a way that uh, obviously hadn't happened before because the Holy Spirit had come upon people but wasn't within them. And um, that this was going to bring a restoration in their relationship with God. But then when he pivots into the next chapter, that's chapter 37, we get this vision of dry bones in a valley and the bones begin to come together and then the the flesh, the sinews and the flesh come upon them. And the final act of this new creation that Ezekiel sees is that the spirit is poured into them. The breath of God comes into them and they come back to life. So it's a picture of resurrection. It's a picture of God's people who are dead, but his spirit is going to come upon them and they're going to come back to life. And uh, and so God's people are are pictured as dead bones resurrected. And Ezekiel uh, promises in chapter 37, verses 11 to 14, that God is going to place his spirit within them and restore them uh, to their own land. And, of course, this is what Nicodemus didn't get. When Jesus had this encounter with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and he's speaking about being born again of the spirit. It's a direct allusion to Ezekiel chapter 37, when God is going to cause his people to be born over again through placing his spirit within them. And uh, and Nicodemus uh, doesn't get what Jesus is talking about. And, and he says, well, how can you be born again? Uh, you know, like he's thinking of a baby being born, obviously, in, in the womb. And uh, Jesus says, well, you're a teacher of Israel. Why don't you get this? And uh, the reason that he should have got it is because this was a major prophetic promise of the Old Testament that Jesus was referring to. But Nicodemus, learned though he was, somehow uh, what was obvious and staring him in the face had just gone completely over his head. So uh, Ezekiel uh, Ezekiel's prophecy of the, the spirit coming again in an act of new creation is actually, it's a remarkable parallel to the original creation account. Because in Genesis, it says in the second chapter of Genesis that God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And so in Ezekiel's version, God takes lifeless bones, causes breath to enter them, and they come to life, just like in Genesis. Um, he causes his breath to come upon them so that the dead may live in Ezekiel 37. And so um, Ezekiel is, and I'm sure he was completely aware of what he was prophesying, of the significance of it in biblical context. Ezekiel is saying a new creation is coming. It's, it's going to be <clears throat> on a parallel somehow with the creation of uh, humanity in Genesis. 
That's exactly what he's depicting. Um, and obviously he's aware that there's a difference in it because now the world, the cosmos is already created. Humanity isn't going to be created all over again in the same way Adam was, but there's going to be a new creation, a recreation. And in this recreation, the Holy Spirit is going to play just as powerful and significant a role as he played in the original creation. So the prophesied latter days coming to life of God's people in Christ, it recapitulates or repeats the original creation account of God breathing into Adam and bringing him life. Both accounts, the creation and the new creation, had a two-stage process, which was the forming of man from the dust and the breathing into him to bring him to life. So what is it that Ezekiel is saying? He's saying that that the future spiritual resurrect, there's a, a future spiritual resurrection of God's dead people coming, and it's going to be an act of new creation by the Holy Spirit. The first creation brought humanity into existence, but then we fell uh, through the entrance of sin. Uh, Adam and Eve were given that commission to be fruitful and multiply and extend the garden to the ends of the earth. They failed in their commission to do that. Israel then was chosen by God uh, and given a commission to be a light to the nations, Isaiah 49, verse 6. Israel failed in that commission to take the message of the true living God to the nations of the earth. And so God now is going to bring about an act of new creation because that's what is going to be required if his purposes in the original creation are going to be fulfilled. Because God has a plan. And though his plan may appear to be frustrated, God's intention is to fulfill the plan that he originally initiated um, when he established his dwelling place on earth and and, and intended for that to be pushed out to the boundaries uh, of the ends of the to the ends of the earth. And so uh, Ezekiel talks about the coming of the spirit and new creation uh, in chapters 36 and 37, and to and and the parallel from to the original creation act is carried through to the point where Ezekiel foresees in chapter 36, 35, a new Garden of Eden being created. So he's trying to describe obviously what's indescribable uh, in measure, um, but but how he describes it is is like a new Garden of Eden. So God. He, he, he's he humanity is dead. The spirit is going to come just like in the original creation and an, a garden of Eden is going to be restored. And, and that's what he's prophesying. He's prophesying a resurrection. And the Jewish people, of course, thought that resurrection was something that was going to occur, uh, be a physical resurrection. It was something that, that would occur at the, at the end of all time. But Ezekiel is describing it as a spiritual reality. God's people are dead spiritually. He's going to bring them to life spiritually. New life is going to come into the dead bones and they will literally be born again. And that's why Jesus had this, uh, had to lecture Nicodemus because Nicodemus should have known that uh, we needed to be born again, uh, that that was a prophetic promise. Um, and the, the initial fulfillment of all that obviously took place on the day of Pentecost, where God 
caused a resurrection by the spirit to take place. So the the, um, purposes of God are fulfilled in two stages. Number one, through the work, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ to the right hand of the Father and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Ezekiel's prophetic word in chapter 36 and 37 is fulfilled. Of course, it's not fulfilled completely. It won't be fulfilled completely until Jesus returns and we Eden is restored and we live in perfect harmony with him uh, and the new Jerusalem is established. But the point is that that God has has initiated his new creation, which is just as significant as the original creation. And he's done it by the outpouring of his spirit. And you and I are part of God's program or plan of restoration. And obviously God's purpose for his church is the same as it was originally through Adam and Eve, that the boundaries of the kingdom will be pushed out to the ends of the earth, which is why Jesus said he will not return until Matthew 24 and 14, the uh, gospel of the kingdom has come to every people group, uh, which, by the way, hasn't happened yet and uh, isn't going to happen uh, in the next day or month or year or so. And that's about as far as we can go in um, talking about the return of the Lord, that it's not something that is going to happen imminently, far as we can see, because the conditions haven't been fulfilled in that sense. Now, I've talked about Ezekiel, but this is actually a theme in the Old Testament prophets. It's, it's really quite a significant theme. Isaiah says in chapter 32, 15, that Israel will remain desolate until the spirit is poured out upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field. There's that imagery of the Garden of Eden being restored again in some mysterious way that obviously neither Isaiah or Ezekiel really understood fully what they were talking about, but they were expressing it in the language that that God had given to them. And so the spirit is going to create a new garden of Eden in which God's people will dwell. And that garden began in a a real, even if it's not a perfect form, uh, on the day of Pentecost, the church itself as the body of Christ is the beginning of that restoration program. Isaiah chapter 44, verse three, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. It's interesting how the last two chapters of the Bible and the first two chapters of the Bible are like bookends. They they represent the beginning and the end of the purposes of God. The garden, which uh, is depicted in the first two chapters of the Bible, is then uh, restored in the last two chapters of the Bible. The only difference being the presence of evil is no longer there. Um, so I, uh, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and also Joel, if we go to the second chapter of Joel 28, 29, he says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Now that we know was quoted by uh, Peter on the day of Pentecost in his sermon in Acts chapter two. And Peter said, this is it. 
This is the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament prophets uh, had talked about when they said, and we're looking forward to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, bringing new life and resurrection to God's people. Uh, and uh, and so uh, there's a consistent theme. I've just touched upon several references in in um, several of the prophets, uh, but there's 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 more than that. Um, uh, but uh, there's a consistent theme here that God created a garden. God had a program to push out the boundaries to the ends of the earth. Uh, it was frustrated. God's purpose was frustrated through our rebellion. But God has a plan of restoration, and he's going to bring about an act of entirely new creation by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and that's what the prophets were seeing. And Peter recognized the fulfillment of it on the day of Pentecost. Now, this uh, act of new creation that the prophets foresaw has another important feature. I mean, number one, it is new life being breathed into dead people by a sovereign presence of the Holy Spirit, such as had never been seen since the foundation of the world. That's one very important feature. The second important feature of this new creation that's coming is it's going to be accompanied by the coming of the Messiah. And so Isaiah chapter 59, 20, 21 says this, and a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit, here's the spirit again, my spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring from this time forth and forevermore. So this coming act of new creation by the spirit, this restoration of Eden is going to be accompanied by the fact that the redeemer, the Messiah is going to arrive in Zion in God's amongst God's people. And um, to say that that sort of theme appears also in Isaiah chapter 11, where he speaks about um, the fact that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, is going to rest upon the Messiah. He will be the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And in Isaiah 11, he's talking about the coming of the Messiah and describing the characteristic of the Messiah, he will be the one on whom the spirit rests. And similarly, Isaiah 42, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. He's speaking about Jesus. And then God continues, I have put my spirit upon him. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice. A bruised reed, he will not break. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Now, this deliverer, Messiah, servant that is coming upon whom the spirit will rest. We know that that's Jesus because Jesus took these very words of Isaiah 42 and he applied them to himself. He says, they're fulfilled in me. That's in Matthew chapter 12, verses 18 to 20. So uh, Isaiah is telling us through these scriptures that a day of new creation is coming. He speaks in other places of uh, ruined cities being repaired, of the devastation of the land being restored. He's using all these, he's using all the language that's at his disposal to, to describe something that he doesn't really understand what it is um, in, its, in its fullness. Um, 
And if we understood what Isaiah was was prophesying as literal cities being repaired uh, and, and it all applying to the literal land of Israel, we wouldn't be getting it. He's using the language that he had to speak of the restoration of Eden. And so it turns out that this is a new creation that the Messiah is going to bring. It's not the physical restoration of Israel. That's that's where the Jews got it wrong. They read these scriptures and they thought when the Messiah came, he was going to be a military, political deliverer, and it was all going to be about the nation of Israel. Forget about anybody else. They were going to, he was going to restore the kingdom of David because he was the son of David, drive the Romans out and to heck with everybody else. And of course, the same mistake is made in in what we call dispensational theology, where everything is focused on a future millennium when uh, Israel is going to be the focus, the, the the city of Jerusalem, the temple is going to be rebuilt and all this type of stuff. And that's not what the prophets are talking about at all. They're using the language at their disposal to describe a spiritual reality. It's why Nicodemus didn't get it. He was thinking in the natural level, Jesus was was saying, no, this is a spiritual reality that we're talking about. And so, um, and so uh, where that becomes really, really clear, it, where Isaiah is talking about this restoration that's coming, where we know it's Jesus that fulfills it and not some future rebuilding of a temple or something, is because Isaiah prophesies, chapter 61, concerning the Messiah, he says, this restoration of the nation is going to come about when this happens. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. That's when all this restoration of the nation and the building and the streets and the Garden of Eden is going gonna, is gonna to happen. It's when the Messiah comes and and proclaiming the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. And of course, we we know um, without a shadow of a doubt that that was fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, because Jesus, when he got to the synagogue at Nazareth at the beginning of his ministry, he opened the scriptures at this page. He read them and he said, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. And so uh, that is when this whole program of new creation kicks off um, as the coming of the Messiah, the um, coming of the Holy Spirit, the new creation, the restoration of all God's purposes that he in intended at the beginning. It, it's all focused on the coming of Jesus and everything that happens as a result of that. So, you know, when I've, I've, and I know I've thrown um, a number of scriptural references at you, and when when I preach, I usually like to just take one little piece of scripture and try to go through it coherently. So I've I've thrown out a number of things in a machine gun fashion. I mean, the virtue, I guess, of a recording is that you, if you want to, you can go back and listen to it again. I have notes that that I can send that you can read through if you want to. But the overall impact of what I, I'm trying to say brings you to this point that you probably never considered how the Old Testament so consistently speaks of the Holy Spirit uh, preparing the way for Jesus to come. That the Holy Spirit 
is going to be the one who initiates a new creation. And at, at that moment, the Messiah is going to come and the spirit is going to be upon him so that even as in the original creation, a new creation is coming and we focus um, very much so on uh, the coming of Jesus and rightly so, but it's the whole role of the Holy Spirit that gets passed over or ignored in the process. And we are Trinitarians. We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God sends forth uh, his spirit as much as he sends, sent forth the Son. And uh, if this gives you a greater and deeper appreciation for the place of the Holy Spirit, then I've done my job, especially the role of the Holy Spirit in the new creation. And you and I today are part of that restoration. We're part of that new creation. And yes, of course, it's because Jesus came and died in the cross for us. But it's also because God sent his spirit. It's the spirit that uh, breathes new life into us. Jesus made it possible for that to happen through his work in the cross. But it's the spirit who actually breathes new life into the dead bones and makes us uh, new people. So it's really important for us to remember today we are a people of the spirit. Now it's really interesting. Um, what Jewish theology at the time of Jesus believed about the Holy Spirit? Now there was a, a, a large um, collection of uh, writings uh, from the different rabbis, theologians, teachers of the law, and so on uh, that that come down to us today from even before the time of Jesus or at the time of Jesus or a little bit after the time of Jesus. Um, and so when we read what these Jewish rabbi, rabbis, people like Nicodemus, for instance, would have uh, um, written um, uh, and, and, and then you look at uh, what did they write about the role of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Because you might think they missed uh, the significance of who Jesus was when he came. And so uh, you probably would think, well, they really didn't understand anything about the Holy Spirit either. But the funny thing is that these Jewish rabbis, when they read and studied their Bible, which is our Old Testament, they actually had quite an acute appreciation for uh, the role of the Holy Spirit and for, for what the Holy Spirit did. Um, so they understood, for instance, and I can, I'll just give you a really quick overview. They understood that, that this is all according to their analysis of the Old Testament. They understood that the Holy Spirit gave people supernatural revelation and direction and dreams and visions. They understood it was the Spirit who gave supernatural skill in performing uh, God-given assignments. They understood it was the spirit who enabled prophecy. They understood it was the spirit who en enabled or empowered the performance of signs and miracles. And they understood it was the spirit who gave strength for the people to live godly and obedient lives. They believed all those things about the Holy Spirit reading their Old Testament. So they had a really rich understanding of probably more so maybe than we do, because we tend to think, oh, the Holy Spirit only showed up uh, at Pentecost. But actually, that's not true. The Holy Spirit showed up in the first creation and has been active 
ever since the Holy Spirit switches into a whole different mode, so to speak, in the new creation, working among God's people. But the Holy Spirit has been powerfully active since the original creation and all the way through the Old Testament. But here's here's the really fascinating thing that these Jewish theologians believed that due to the sin of Israel and the rebellion of Israel, the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from Israel after the death of the last prophets, which were Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, who lived roughly 400 years before the time of Jesus. So the Jewish theologians believe that whilst the Holy Spirit was quite, was active in all these different ways in the history of Israel, in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, that after the death of the last prophets and the close of God's revelation and the canon of scripture, that the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from Israel due to the sin of and rebellion of God's people. And so when you look at um, that 400 year sort of dead period between 400 years before Christ and the birth of Christ, um, there's virtually zero references in the Jewish uh, writings to anybody receiving a communication from the spirit, a revelation from the spirit, anybody anointed by the spirit, anybody having the Holy Spirit come upon them, any interaction of the Holy Spirit with the people of God is completely gone. It's just gone. Uh, after all that the Holy Spirit had done in the, in, in the, among the people of Israel uh, from uh, the creation up until the last prophets, just zip zero gone and uh but they did believe this that the holy spirit would be back the holy spirit would return the holy spirit will be restored when would the holy spirit be restored the holy spirit will be restored when the messiah came that's what they believed and that that would be the authenticating sign of the messiah that we would know who the messiah was because when he shows up, the Holy Spirit will be upon him. For the first time in 400 years, the Holy Spirit will be upon him. And that would signal this is the Messiah. And then, of course, they believed that uh, the Messiah would bring freedom from the Romans. They did believe also that the Messiah would bring a spiritual restoration um, to the people through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And they believed that when all this happened, there would be uh, even a restoration of supernatural healing and deliverance from demonic powers. They believed that the gift of prophecy, which had been dormant, gone, dead for 400 years, would be restored. They, they believed that all God's people would be filled by the spirit. They believed that God's people would have their heart changed. And, and in summary, uh, they believed that the coming of the spirit upon the messiah would be accompanied by two things two primary immediate things one of which was the restoration of prophecy and second a visible manifestation of fire and light and of course we know on the day of pentecost there was a visible manifestation of fire and light and all the people uh upon whom the spirit rested the 120 that were there in the upper room 
began to prophesy and declare the great things of God. And that we we get lost in the sort of tongues dimension. Uh, we lose the actual fact of what was happening, which was that people were prophesying the great things of God. And uh, all these other people from different languages were enabled to hear the prophetic utterance, the, the praises of God in their own languages. But what it was really about was the restoration of prophecy and the manifestation of the spirit by fire and light. And it's an extraordinary fact, I think, that there were uh, lots of people like Nicodemus. I mean, there's a hopeful sign uh, at the end uh, of, uh, of the Gospels where Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea come and it, it, to um, bring Jesus' body for burial, uh, that there's a hopeful sign to me. Uh, I can believe that Nicodemus... Uh, was among the early followers of Jesus. I think probably he he, he came through in the end and Jesus got through to him. Um, but uh, in general, the Jewish people didn't respond to the gospel in Jesus' ministry. Even when there was all the signs and wonders and miracles done, of course, Jesus said, there's signs pointing to who I am. And if you don't follow through the miracle, which is a sign, John's gospel is particularly emphasizes um that that jesus did signs and people are supposed to follow through the signs to who he is if you don't understand what this the miracle signifies it won't do you any good and and so few were left with jesus at the cross after all the signs and wonders and miracles the extraordinary things that had accompanied his ministry few people were left at the cross just the, the women and maybe a few disciples at a distance. Um, and even after the reports of Jesus' resurrection began to flood the streets of Jerusalem, uh, which, which obviously was happening, the, the, the Sanhedrin, the Romans were in, a, were in a panic because they couldn't find the body and, and, and reports of the resurrection were happening and so on. Even then, it was still for 40 days, the 120 in that upper room, but it was on the day of Pentecost. Um, and that's when what the Old Testament and what they knew, the Old Testament prophesied, uh, had predicted that the coming of the Messiah would be accompanied by the restoration of prophecy and a visible manifestation of fire and light. And it was on the day of Pentecost. That's what authenticated to them to thousands of them anyway, who received Christ on the day of Pentecost, it authenticated the coming of the, this was the restoration of the spirit after 400 years. And therefore Jesus must be the Messiah. Now, let me just close this talk and thank you so much for bearing with me through this whirlwind tour of the old Testament and Jewish theology. Um, let me close uh, today with this thought that one of the greatest mistakes the church in our modern Western culture, at least, has made is to diminish the role of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is there from creation onwards, preparing the way for the coming of the Messiah. The Son is now ascended to the right hand of the Father. And I know that's what we call anthropomorphic language. In other words, it speaks of God in human terms. The son isn't literally and the father not literally sitting on two chairs in some heavenly place. But 
there's a truth expressed in it that the son is at the right hand of the father but but the spirit is sent into this world so the spirit is god on earth the spirit is the presence of god here on earth if we forget we're a people of the spirit if we reduce the role of the holy spirit or marginalize his role then all he is is a piece of doctrine uh, on, uh, I'm sorry, all he is is a doctrinal point on a piece of paper, which means that we're Trinitarian rather than Unitarian, rather than uh, Jesus only or God the Father only or whatever. Uh, yes, we believe in the Holy Spirit makes us Trinitarians, but that's all we've got. If we reduce or marginalize the role of the Holy Spirit, then we have lost the presence of God himself on earth. So if we even trivialize the role of the Holy Spirit to just being involved in gifts of the Spirit, um, and if you don't operate in gifts of the Spirit, then the Holy Spirit becomes irrelevant to you. If that's all he does, no. I hope I've shown you today that the Holy Spirit is the author of creation. The Holy Spirit is the fashioner of the new creation. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings dead life to dead bones to life. The Holy Spirit is our life as a result of the work of Christ. And so we need to promote and understand in all of its richness uh, what the role of the Holy Spirit is. We need to understand who the Spirit is. The Spirit was preparing the way for Jesus to come through all these millennia. And now that Jesus has come and has ascended to the right hand of the Father to rule, it's the Spirit who is preparing us for that great day when we see Jesus again face to face. So thanks be to God for his gift of the Spirit. And I pray that he will enrich you, that God the Father will enrich you today with a deeper understanding. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for who you are, for your role in the great scheme of new creation in Christ, but also personally for who you are in our lives today. As we're listening to this talk, Holy Spirit, come upon us, bring us new life, refresh us where we become dry, where we feel uh, like a collection of dead bones. And we need you to come again and breathe that life into us. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are available every day, every day, every new day um, to us to restore and bring that new life that we so desperately need to live um, as your people in this age. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, for being with us in this day, in Jesus' name, and to his glory. Amen. Thank you, and God bless you.